Why is it that people who are closest to us, the people we love most, tend to be the same people who drive us crazy? There are no perfect families, and that's okay. We don't need to be perfect. God likes messy anyway. Our relationships are made up of the good and the not so good. And it's natural to only want people to see the good parts. But part of life is learning to take everything together, to look at ourselves and our loved ones honestly, and say with thankfulness, this is us. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an offsite campus, the internet, the chapel, wherever you happen to be. Uh, we're glad that you're along uh, also. Uh, a couple of things before we get into the message. First of all, uh, most of you are aware we plant churches, life-giving churches. Our mission is to see a life-giving church in every community on the planet, literally. And uh, this week we're starting one in uh, Long Beach, California. Uh, that's where Snoop Dogg is. They need a church there. And so uh, it's Anthem Church in Long Beach. So if you know anybody in Long Beach, you can tell them there's a new life-giving church coming uh, their way. Secondly, I, uh, this has been a very, very challenging week uh, for all of us, for a nation, as we followed uh, the story from Florida with the children who were uh, killed in school. That ought never to happen. And uh, we're praying for families and, and uh, people that still are recovering. And we're also praying for our leaders that will come up with a common sense solution or at least steps toward how we can deal with these things. So I invite you guys just to be praying on that and continue to pray on it as you're thinking about it. And then we were touched by tragedy here in Charleston in, uh, in just a uh, uh, horrific way. I, uh, this week I w uh, flew to Birmingham on Monday and was uh, teaching church planters, the next batch of church planters. Uh, Darren and I actually were there and, uh, that, that will be planting in the fall and in the, uh, uh, or in the spring, I guess, and, or wh whatever, wh whenever the next thing is, but in the fall and then next year. And I uh, was going to be teaching all week there, and I got a, a phone call late Friday night that said that uh, one of the families in our church uh, had had a uh, home invasion and mama had been beaten savagely and, and their four-year-old daughter uh, was kidnapped. You guys read the story. and uh, So I got on a plane, came home immediately. Next day was Valentine's Day and I, I told my wife, I said, I have never experienced a worse Valentine in my life. Uh, just, it was, uh, you guys felt the same feelings that, that I did. We all began to pray. The city prayed, the country's praying, and uh, the mayor, uh, uh, Tecklenburg, uh, called uh, Rusty uh, Graves, who is our Johns Island campus pastor. Uh, he and his wife, Laura, have just done an incredible job of caring for this family, and their small group has rallied around them, and the church has, and it's just been a beautiful picture of what the church can be and what the church can do. But the mayor called us down to pray, um, and so we prayed for you know, the mayor and the chief of police was there and the fire chief and just several of the people who were involved in the investigation. And uh, we grabbed hands and heaven came down in that place. It wasn't just a, you know, just a normal perfunctory prayer if there's such thing. We were crying and snotting and that was just the mayor. <laughs> but, uh, 
He was, and so was I. And, um, and I thank God for some city officials and those that lead us in fire and police and all that that, that believe in a God who can intervene. And uh, I really do. I really do. And, uh, and by the way, it doesn't matter whether they've got a Republican or Democrat by their name, okay? We need to get over that. We need to, we need to just see that we are people and that, that we love God and that, that we can inter, intercede. And so we just prayed. We, we said, God, we're doing the best we can, but we need a supernatural infusion in this investigation. And you guys did the same thing. And then we, and, and we saw a miracle, I believe, on Tuesday night. I was, I was sitting at dinner with my wife and, and uh, uh, my daughter, her two kids, my dad, and... Uh, and his wife. How romantic is that? We were at like a pizza place, you know, and I didn't feel like being there. Just did not feel like being there. I got a phone call, and they said, we want to tell you that we've got some good news, and it's going to be coming out, and um, they rescued that baby, and uh, the, the, the police chief down there that was part of the rescue, uh, did you see where a reporter interviewed and said, don't you feel lucky to have been there? He said, there's no luck involved here. It was the hand of God. And we believe that. We really do. We believe it was the hand of God. And, uh, and I want to I, I challenge you to continue to pray for that family. There's a long recovery coming. Everybody's going, what can we do to help? What can we do to help? Pray. They need their privacy. We, the, the small group's going to take care of whatever needs to be done there. But you guys just pray, and we're going to see God glorified in just a horrible situation over time, I believe. Amen? Amen. All right, so we're in a series. We started last week. It's about a television show, This Is Us, that makes you cry. Okay, that's what it's about. And uh, last week, I started by talking about dysfunctional families. Just a little review. How many of you were uh, raised in or are currently a part of a dysfunctional family? Just raise your hand. Okay, good. Those of you who are not raising your hands weren't here last week. And you might want to go online and watch because you have a problem, okay? We all do. And, uh, and, and this week, we're going to be talking about functional and dysfunctional marriages. And I'm excited uh, to have Darren and Amy Patrick who are going to come share with us. But before they do, we thought, if you haven't seen the show or just kind of get you in the mood, how about a little video clip of marriage, uh, the Pearson family style, okay? So take a look at this. been trying to focus on all of the little moments that, that I don't want to forget. But the moment that has burned into my brain and heart was the first time I saw you. I was off balance. I was out of place. You're going to find your balance. And then you're going to lose it. And then you're going to find it again. It's the ride. I will love you today and every day the rest of my life. I will create a home with you full of laughter and compassion. You have changed the way I think about love. I know things may not always be easy. But our love has always been worth it. 
our love story. I know it may not feel like it right now, but I promise you, it's just getting started. So I know that for last week's message, Pastor Greg was very vulnerable and shared a little bit of his experience with the show. So I thought I would share a little bit of mine as well uh, to get started today. So I really had not watched the show at all until recently, and it, I didn't start watching it because we were you know, doing a message in the middle of a series that had to do with the show. But um, there were a few reasons that I hadn't watched the show. One was that you know, when the promos for it started coming out, I thought, wow, this looks pretty intriguing. Just the premise of it, I thought was something that I would probably enjoy. But I've also seen, I'm kind of in this age of Netflix and lots of other ways to watch entire seasons of shows. I've seen several of my friends kind of get caught up in this um, binge-watching phenomenon, you know, where you, like, forget to shower and <laughs> stay in your pajamas for days at a time, and your children are sort of fending for themselves for food and laundry and homework because you have to finish the season. And so I wasn't judgmental about that at all. I just knew that if I got a show, that would probably be me, and this might not be the right season of life um, for me to have a show that would consume me like that. But I also have a bit of a, uh, we'll call it a stubborn slash rebellious streak that when something gets very popular in culture and everybody's into it and everybody's encouraging you, you have to see this. I have this little part of me that's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Anybody else like me? A little stubborn, a little rebellious. And the more you hype it up, the less likely I am to watch the show, read the book, go to their restaurant, buy an Instapot, you know, whatever it (coughs) might be. But, you know, I think there's a part of that that's okay, a small part of it that's okay. We do want to be thoughtful about our decisions and not just, you know, do what everyone's doing just for the sake of doing it. But I have learned, too, that I've missed out on a lot of things just because I have a little pride about not doing the same thing that everyone else is doing. So those were a couple of reasons. But the third one was that, you know, Darren and I have been in a very difficult and painful season of life for the last couple of years. And we've talked about that some here, and we'll talk about it a little more today. Um, But I often feel like, as an adult, a lot of the books and movies and TV shows that get recommended to me are just heartbreakingly tragic. I need a romantic comedy thrown in, you know, here and there, but a lot of them are just sad, and I knew that this show was going to make me cry, probably, and we were already crying a lot um, in our house. Somebody was crying every day, and we don't have babies and toddlers anymore. It's been a tough time, and so I thought, I don't know if I need a show right now that reminds me of how traumatic and painful life can be, because my real life, along with news and everything else, is kind of reminding me of that. So, you know, despite all those reasons, I kept hearing about This Is Us. It kept popping up everywhere, and I'm reading articles about how much people are identifying with these characters and this family and how good the writing is and the acting and all these things. And then there's this, you know, big buildup to this fateful (laughs) Super Bowl episode a few weeks ago. So... The day after the Super Bowl, after I'd finished cleaning up from the party that we'd had the night before, um, I sat down and started watching This Is Us with the Super Bowl episode. I know, it's like, I'm breaking all kinds of rules about how you're supposed to watch these shows, I know. And it was brutal. I was prepared for it because I'd read enough to kind of know what to expect. Um, So I watched that episode, then I checked my smoke detector batteries and reviewed a fire evacuation plan with my children and check the wiring on the crock pot. Um, And then I watched the first two episodes of season one. 
and then I was hooked. And I said, okay, this is going to be my show for a little while at least. So um, I've been catching up while the Olympics are on, and the show's not on, but the show returns February 27th, for those of you who might be interested in <laughs> catching up. NBC's not paying me to say that, I'm just saying, if you want to know. But there's a lot I could say about the show, you know, what's kind of drawn me in, but um, I'll tell you how this applies to what we're talking about today. You know, really, I've noticed um, in this program and in this story that it tells that it really shows the generational impact of a marriage over decades. You know, you see Jack and Rebecca's marriage, you see how they were impacted by both of the families that they grew up in, you see the effect that their marriage had on their children and on their children's children. You see that generational impact. You see a marriage that is persevering through pain and trauma and also just boring and mundane everyday life that we all have to live. Um, you see a lot of messy problems um, with messy people and places where there aren't just obvious answers and solutions. I find myself trying to find the, who the good guy and the bad guy is in this show, and it's hard to land. You know, you see the good and the bad going on in all the characters. Um, and perhaps most importantly for me in the season of life I'm in, you also see these glimpses of healing and redemption that comes as people bravely walk through pain over time, over years, over decades. You see this overall um, redeeming theme um, and a lot of difficulty. And so, you know, the show definitely does not directly address marriage from a biblical perspective. But there is an important biblical principle that I think it reflects, and it's this, that Marriage is a, a powerful and a transcendent institution. And here's what I mean by that. Um, it's powerful in the weight that it carries. It's weighty. Um, there's an impact that it has. And it's transcendent in that it surpasses our human understanding and experience. There is something supernatural and bigger than just what is going on with a couple. So if we're going to look at marriage today, kind of in light of that big picture principle, we need to find out what God's intended design um, for marriage was in scripture. I love the show because it, 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 it describes the struggle of marriage. Marriage isn't a panacea. Um, you're, you're actually more lonely in a bad marriage than you are in no marriage. And the two greatest figures in Christianity, it could be argued, are Jesus and Paul. Neither one of them were married. And so marriage isn't this like, oh my gosh, I've got to get married. It's the only, actually, though, most people do get married. Uh, I, I, I think by God's design that it's an institution that he created. It was his idea from the beginning. And so as you begin to look in the Bible, you see that the Bible starts with God. God is a trinity. He is one God expressed in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And this community of divinity from eternity past has been deferring to one another, uh, glorifying one another. And, and you see this as Jesus comes on the scene and the Holy Spirit. And so this kind of dance goes on within the life of the trinity where they're constantly trying to make each other famous, in a sense, trying to uh, um, encourage and defer to one another. And so the Bible moves from this God, this triune God, uh, to human beings, from creator to creation. And we are called to reflect who God is. 
And marriage pictures this very clearly. You have two diverse people uh, that come together as one, right? That's what marriage is. The goal of marriage is oneness. The goal of marriage is intimacy. The goal of marriage is connection. So that marriage shows that God is diverse and yet one. And, and I don't know, I'm sure there are some that could argue with us, but my wife and I are two of the most opposite people, okay, that, that I've ever met. We're married, we love each other, but we don't like the same movies. That's one of the reasons we can't do the show thing, because we can't ever pick the one we want together to commit to, right, to stay in the pajamas for days. We can't commit, because we don't like the same stuff, right? We, we don't like the same food. Um, we, we don't snore at the same time at night. I mean, she squeezes the toothpaste from the middle. Does anybody else do that from the middle? Okay, confess your sins, yes, thank you. We just, we're not, we're not, but we're called to pursue oneness. And there's something beautiful when diverse people um, pursue oneness. Well, that is what Adam experienced in the early chapters of Genesis in the biblical narrative, where he sees this creation that God has given him this woman. Remember, Adam has named all the animals up until this point, and there was two. There was a male and a female. There's a giraffe, and there's an orangutan, and, then, and there's two. And I'm sure as he got down the line, he's like, where's mine? And God says, I'm gonna give you the most beautiful uh, compliment in your life. And so Adam sees Eve, and in Genesis 2:23 he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she is taken out of a man. And the Hebrew emphasis here is like this, this like, oh, like, whoa, man, like woman, like this is it, this is my compliment, this is the one that is suited for me. This is my lady. And, and I don't know if you're old enough to remember this movie. Do you remember the movie um, Jerry Maguire? Anybody that old? Yeah. There's two lines from that movie that have remained and have been like woven into the fabric of culture even to this day. One from the female character, Renee, whatever her name is, and she says, you had me at hello. Remember that? And then Tom Cruise, the camera pans in on him and after many difficulties and uh, you know, solving many plot twists and he looks at her and he says, finish it with me, you complete me. Now, we know what he was saying, um, but that's actually not accurate to the Bible. Your spouse doesn't complete you, right? Because you could be a complete person without a spouse. But your, your spouse compliments you. You're, you're fit together physically, spiritually, emotionally. This is oneness. And so even in the early chapters of Genesis, God is saying marriage is about oneness. It's about connection. If you're gonna experience this oneness, though, you have to do something very radical and counterintuitive. You actually have to separate, and that's what Genesis 2.24 speaks of. It says, therefore a man shall leave his mother and his father. This tells us something about marriage, that marriage is so important that the Bible says, leave, leave. Oneness is so vital, so critical, so significant that you have to leave your family of origin. 
Now, this is hard to do if you grew up in a good family. I remember having dinner uh, or coffee one time with my friend. Um, he had just graduated law school, got a great job making six figures, and uh, he, he was, uh, we were talking about dating. He was frustrating his dating relationships, and, and so he said, I gotta go. I gotta uh, grab my laundry and uh, get my laundry together and eat. I'm like, oh, cool, going by the dry cleaners? He's like, no, I'm going home. Laundry's there. Okay, uh, where are you eating? I'm home again. And I'm like, um, so uh, where do you live? And he's like, well, like my mom's basement. Um, I said, I think we may have an idea why you're having a hard time getting a date. As a graduate of law school with a good job. Now, now here's the deal. My buddy didn't wanna leave home because mama was a good cook and mama did laundry, okay? So I get that. But my challenge to him that day was, bro, you gotta leave. <laughs> you gotta leave. If you're, gonna, if you're gonna, and that's true for marriage too. You've gotta leave. Now, if, you're, if your home was not so great, this is an easy command to obey. Because you just wanted to get out of there. Um, my buddy faked his uh, birth certificate so he could get a job when he was 15 and save money, get a car, and then get his own apartment when he was 17. Because he wanted to leave, he wanted to get out. Um, some of us had good families. Some of us had not so good families. Some of us have great relationships with our parents uh, and, and siblings and our family system. Others of us don't. The command remains the same. You have to leave. You leave your primary identity. No longer is that your main family. You have a new family. And you change your functional allegiance. What goes on with your new family with your spouse takes precedent over the old family, your family of origin. And so, here's what this means. You leave and forsake your old identity. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have friends. It just means that your spouse is your best friend. It doesn't mean that you don't have a career. It means that your spouse is more central to you than your career. And it doesn't mean that you don't have hobbies. It means that your spouse is more important than your hobby. It doesn't mean that you don't have a relationship with your, your, your family of origin and your extended family. It means that your spouse is your main identity and your priority relationship. You gotta leave if you're gonna pursue oneness, if you're gonna have intimacy. So I don't know what that looks like for you, but think about attitudes from your family that might need to be left. Think about words, think about wounds, it just requires a leaving. That is because marriage is so important. Marriage, though, is also to be uh, permanent. <laughs> and so that's where the text says we have to cleave together. A man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife. Here's the idea of cleave. It's superglue. It's connection. All right, and, and it's, a, it's a word that was used to describe covenant. Here's what they would do in the Old Testament when they would make a covenant. One nation with the, with the other. One king and another king. They would literally kill an animal and they would take the pieces of the animal and they would cut it up and they would put it on each side and there would be two parties. And the two parties who were making a covenant would walk between the pieces of the covenant and then they would turn around and face each other. And here's what they were saying. If I break my end of the covenant, if I don't hold up to the stipulations and the commitments. May what happened to this animal happen to me. That is the word that's used by Moses 
here in Genesis 2. The same word that was used to ratify and inaugurate covenants. It's a serious thing to do marriage. And God says, if you're going to do it, you have to understand it's a covenant where you cleave together. You connect yourself. And this tells us something about love, doesn't it? It tells us that love isn't primarily a feeling. Is love a feeling? Yes, secondarily though. So love is not a feeling that you kind of fall in and out of. Love is not a technique that one day doesn't work. Love is a choice. Covenant is a choice. It's saying, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how, no matter how painful it is, I am gonna be right here. I am choosing to be stuck together. I want you to go back with me, those of you who are married, or maybe a, a recent marriage ceremony you were in. Go back to your ceremony. I don't know what it was like, um, but I know something that was in there, um, and that is the vows. Do you remember your vows? Um, here's what a vow is. A vow is an, appoint, an, an appointment you make with yourself for the future. When you're reading those vows, you don't know what you're saying, right? You're like, for better or for worse, you don't know what better looks like and you don't know what worse looks like, but here's what you're saying. In 20, 30, five, 10 years, whatever it is, I'm making a choice. I'm making an appointment with myself in the future. That's covenant. That's what it looks like to cleave. That's what it looks like to connect. So you are saying to your spouse, we are together no matter what. So when we talk about this idea of cleaving and oneness, there are obviously a lot of things that can get in the way between two spouses, a lot of obstacles. And so I'm gonna talk about just a few of those today. Um, the first one is unfair expectations, unfair expectations. And you know, when it comes to relationships, there's a lot of disappointment that happens when our expectations aren't met. And frankly, there's a lot we could say about that. That could be a, a message all on its own. But for the purposes of what we're talking about today, I think there are a couple of questions um, that we can ask ourselves to find out if, a, if an expectation is fair or not. The first one is, is it realistic? Is your expectation for your spouse realistic? You know, when two spouses, when two people are doing their very best they're really trying, really giving it an effort in marriage, we are still bringing two very broken, messy, sinful people together. That's when we're really trying. It's still very messy. And so, you know, I am a person who has, um, I struggle with idealism to some degree and perfectionism, and I can remember as a little girl when an adult would say to me, well, just do your best. I had no concept of what that meant. That felt like a black hole to me. What could that possibly mean besides perfection? And so as an adult, I've had to learn that doing my best means being thoughtful about where I am today, what's possible today, and what the current circumstances are, and considering my best um, in light of that. I'll give you an example outside of marriage. So Darren and I have four kids that range from eight to 17, three girls and a boy, and just because of the way some things work out logistically this year, we are all together in the minivan after school for like 20, 30 minutes um, every day, every day <laughs> this year. 
And uh, let me just tell you, it's a rough time there in the van. Um, they're all hangry, you know, that hungry, angry combination, which is difficult for anybody, especially kids. They're tired, they're mentally exhausted. Um, they're just not in a great place to be relating to one another. And so, you know, we have some guidelines about physical violence and name calling and yelling and, and things like that so that we don't have total anarchy and chaos um, on the way home. But I have to be realistic about what to expect from them at that time. You know, they are not gonna be super loving and grateful towards me for picking them up from school or for the snacks and drinks I brought. They're not gonna express love and appreciation for their siblings at that time. We're not all gonna sing worship songs together probably on the way home. Sometimes I've had to say, you know what, there's no talking. Everyone close your eyes, just take deep breaths until we make it to the driveway, okay? That's, why, that's our strategy today. But I have to consider the context, who they are, where they are, what's realistic to expect. So sometimes I think we come to marriage and just think we've all, we're all just gonna magically figure it out because we're now married. You know, if you came from a family where you didn't learn how to do romance or conflict or sharing the load together, we have to learn those things. And it's not realistic to expect our spouse to just have figured that out because we're not married, we're all in a process together. So is your expectation for your spouse realistic? The second question that I find help, helpful is, is your expectation burdensome? Is it burdensome? And here's what I mean by burdensome. Are you asking or perhaps demanding something from your spouse that exceeds the limits of their role or their humanity? Are you asking or demanding something from your spouse that exceeds the limits of their role or their humanity? You know, Darren is very affirming and encouraging to me. Um, he tells me I'm beautiful all the time. But if I don't know that deep within me and if I'm not getting that affirmation from God and growing in my sense of that, it does not matter how many times he tells me. It will not be enough because he is not designed to fulfill that identity piece for me. And that goes both ways. In a marriage, we cannot make up for all the things that happened or didn't happen in the family that we grew up in that should have or shouldn't have. We can't fix that for each other. We get to participate in healing with each other but we are not the source of each other's healing. Darren can't heal my wounds, God heals my wounds. Now God uses him to participate in that process, but if I expect him to heal me, I'm gonna kill him with that expectation. He'll never be able to meet it. It's, placing the, it's like placing this big boulder in the middle of our marriage that will crush it. So is the expectation realistic? Is the expectation burdensome? Second barrier or obstacle to oneness is this idea of efficiency, efficiency. Now, efficiency on its own is a great idea. Um, and we, in America, we really think it's a great idea. Um, let's figure out how to do everything more, better, faster all the time, right? That's what a lot of books and podcasts and all kinds of things on the internet are about. How can we be more efficient? It's kind of unique to our country and some other cultures, but if you have traveled much, you know, in some other cultures, they're not so much about watching the clock, 
never taking a break. They waste a lot of time. And it's frustrating for Americans a lot of times when we go to other cultures and like, come on. There's a much more efficient way to do this. So efficiency on its own is not a problem, but a place where efficiency absolutely does not work is in relationships. If you try to make your relationships efficient, um, you're going to be destroying them in some ways. Darren, by personality, leans towards achievement and progress and moving things forward and strategy, and all of that serves him very well in a lot of arenas. It does not serve him well with me or our kids. I know when efficiency is the goal. Uh, it does not uh, lead to intimacy and oneness. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Doesn't work well for that. Um, I lean, lean towards a lot of productivity. I like to check things off the list, and I'm very critical of myself um, when I don't feel like I'm productive enough. And so that combination has been really hard in our marriage, and we've really had to learn how to not reduce our marriage um, to this list of things that we need to check off to see if we're doing well or not. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not intentional. Intentionality is very important, um, but that's not the goal. Intimacy and oneness is the goal, and Jesus is our best example in this. Jesus, nobody was better than Jesus relationally, right? He was not efficient at all. He took the long way around. He sat with bad sinners for like three-hour dinners, right? And the disciples are out there going, we need to go. You gotta go do other stuff. He's sleeping on a boat when there's a storm going on. He went off by himself for long periods of time. But he was great with people and loved people deeply. So in marriage, you know, things like date night, we wanna be intentional about that. But date night is not a box to check off. Date night is the means that gets us to the intimacy and cleaving and oneness that we're going for. Efficiency can be a big barrier um, when it comes to oneness. The third barrier I'll, I'll talk about is um, a lack of self-awareness, a lack of self-awareness. Oneness requires this um, intentionally bringing all of ourselves to our spouse. So that's physical, mental, spiritual, emotional. We're bringing all of it. If you're physically there but kind of checked out otherwise, you're bringing 25% of yourself to your marriage. God has much more for us um, in what he has intended. We cannot really be intimate in holistic ways with our spouse if we've sort of walled off these parts of ourselves and we're just kind of checked out and really don't know what's going on. Um, so what does it look like to be self-aware? Questions like this can be helpful. Um, who are you? How are you wired? Um, what's on your mind? What kind of thoughts do you tend to get preoccupied with? How aware are you of your emotions? Like, what are you feeling right now? What were you feeling a couple of hours ago? What are you worried about? What are you anxious about? How are you feeling physically, maybe at this moment? How do you tend to react? How does anger play out for you? How are you responding to various things that are going on in your life? And you know, for some of us, I list those questions and you're like, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. And that's what we're talking about in growing in self-awareness. And you know, sometimes we get concerned around this topic because it sounds like, boy, aren't we, that sounds really self-absorbed and aren't we supposed to focus on God and not ourselves and deny ourselves? And you know, obviously yes, but 
that doesn't mean that we ignore um, ourselves. We want to be people who are really fully alive. And so when we're kind of walling off these things and just not aware of them, we can't be fully present and engaged and alive in our marriage. And these places that you're like, I don't want to go there. Too painful, too hard, I don't know what to do with it. Those are the very places that God wants to meet you. He wants to meet you there because he loves you. And there's transforming work in you that he wants to do there. Darren and I have learned in the last couple of years, he has not known what to do with sadness. Um, when he was sad or afraid, it usually just came out as angry. And so that stuff was all playing a part in our marriage. I didn't know what to do with anger. And so it was in there having an effect on our marriage, but me not being aware and knowing what to do with it was an issue. Self-awareness is a big deal. It connects us to God and to other people, and it's vital if we're really gonna be one in marriage. So speaking of unfair expectations, efficiency, and lack of self-awareness, let's talk about sex for a second. <laughs> because as we've said, marriage is important, okay? You have to leave. Marriage is permanent, so you have to cleave together, but marriage is to be intimate. And so that's this whole becoming one flesh thing. So sex isn't the cause of a lack of oneness normally, but it is the symptom of a lack of oneness. And the numbers are staggering when you look at how many couples are what would be deemed sexless. It's staggering and it's growing. Because sex is the result of oneness or a lack of oneness. Sometimes there's physical issues and seasons. I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if everything's equal. It, it tells you a lot. And what this text is telling us is, when you have sex with your spouse, it's a cosmic event. It's, it's the mingling of two souls together. It's soul fusion, as one author called it. It's to be delighted in, despite your imperfections. It is whole life oneness. It's the consummation of oneness. And so it's giving yourself, not just physically, but socially and emotionally and spiritually. And so the Bible says over and over again as it gives this picture of sex, it always cracks me up when people are like, oh, you Christians, you're so prudish and, and so puritanical. Uh, well, actually the Bible talks a ton about sexual intimacy and it says that there is a way to interlock maleness and femaleness so that they complement each other instead of competing, so that they actually empower each other instead of controlling. And sex is a picture of that. And you know your sex life is going well when you get to verse 25 of Genesis 2. After leave, cleave, become one flesh, it says this interesting thing. It says, Adam and Eve were naked and they were not what? They were not ashamed. To be able to stand before your spouse with no shame, meaning there's nothing between you and God, there's nothing between you and your spouse, you're not ashamed of how you've loved, you're not ashamed of how you're serving, you're, you're, you're letting your sacrifice for them be more prominent than their sacrifice for you, you're deferring to them, you're making them famous, all the things that the Trinity has done are embodied in your marriage. That's what it means to be one. That's what it means to be connected, to be totally vulnerable, right, and yet fully embraced. It's a picture of the gospel. 
that, that Jesus knows all of our sin, all of our weakness, all of our struggle, and yet he embraces us. That's what sexual intimacy pictures. And so this is relevant, especially when marriage gets hard. And marriage does get hard, and it gets very difficult at times. And as I said at the beginning of the message, Darren and I have been in a really difficult season for a couple of years now. And, um, you know, I, I will never forget um, kind of when the season started, and Darren set me down. This has been a couple years now, and um, we had a counselor there with us, and, and things had really kind of imploded for him at that point. And he started talking to me about what was going on, and it was awful, and I was um, angry and hurt and terrified and all those emotions put together, and I said to him, um, you know, life as we know it is over, I think, in a lot of ways, and although later I thought maybe that was a dramatic statement, that's really proved to be true. There are things that will never go back to the way that they were before, and there's been a lot of grief and loss there and and things that were very painful, Um, and I also said I'm not going anywhere but we have a really hard road ahead of us, I think. And it has been a very hard road, and I don't wanna gloss over that and just neatly tie up a couple years with a bow, um, because it's been hard. There's been very dark days where honestly, I thought I, God seems to have left the building. I don't know what he's doing. Um, it was hard to have hope. It was hard to keep going even for the next minute. You know, sometimes the hardest things in life, I think, are not the things that kill you, but the things that you have to try to figure out how to survive. And as I've watched this program, This Is Us, you know, in one of the early episodes, there was a key line that if you watch the show, you've heard throughout, where a main character said, you know, sometimes life gives you the sourest lemon, and you have to figure out how to somehow make lemonade out of it. And I can tell you, if God had handed me a basket of lemons and said, pick one, the one I got was not the one I would have picked. It has been very sour and bitter, but God has been very faithful to us. He has been very faithful to us. And so he's done a lot in both of us and in our marriage. And so I just wanna encourage you. I know there are people here today who are like, I don't have a lot of hope right now in my marriage. I don't see how things can possibly get better. Um, We are stuck. And if that is you, I want to hopefully just encourage you with some hope today and encourage you to just maybe reach out to one person to get some help. We all need help. You cannot walk this road by ourselves. And also encourage you to just keep walking. One step at a time, do the next thing in front of you. Miraculous things are possible. They really are in your marriage. Some of you married people are in a place right now where you're like, you know, we're kind of stable right now. (laughs) Maybe not for the long term, but right now we're okay. I wanna encourage you to be a blessing and an encouragement to someone else who's in a tough place. We've been really blessed with people who have said, you know what, you guys are in a hard season. We're gonna step right in the middle of this awkward mess and be here with you. And they were not all people who knew everything, knew the right thing to say, knew what to do. Some of them, the best thing they said is, I don't know what to do, but I'm here. So you don't have to be a marriage expert to really help someone and be there for them. We've had people who were that for us. We've also had a lot of deafening silence, frankly, from people. And it's been very painful. And I say that with no bitterness or self-righteousness whatsoever because I've done that to people. I know I have. I've said, oh, this is so awkward. I don't know what I could possibly do. But you can do something. Let's be people that when there's a mess and pain and awkwardness, we move towards people who are suffering. 
why don't you grab the hand of the person beside you that you're married to? <laughs> Maybe if you wanna be married to, I don't know. I'll let you, let you and the Holy Spirit figure it out. But seriously, grab your spouse's hand. There was one author that said his wife died of cancer and he said this, he said, I wish I would have held her hand more. There's something powerful about holding your spouse's hand. And um, why don't we just together, as we're one in our marriage and we're one in the church, the body of Christ, let's go to God and ask him to help us to apply the stuff that he's taught us today. So pray with me. Father, I ask for um, our married friends. Lord, would you give them hope today? Would you give them grace to forgive, grace to confront? And Lord, would you let them not forget what the goal is, what the touchdown is? It's intimacy. It's not efficiency. It's intimacy. So help us to waste time together. Help us to build our relationship. Show us what that looks like. I pray for my friends who are going through a divorce, who have been divorced, and anytime marriage, the word comes up or a sermon comes up, it's so painful. Lord, would you bring healing for our friends in that situation? Would you help them to see you right now as a healer? Lord, I pray for my single friends, and I thank you, Lord, that singleness is a viable option biblically. We see it so clearly. So I pray for those who are called to that. And I pray for those who feel like they want to be married and should be married. Lord, would you bring them to the right person, and would you continue to shape their character so that, so that when that person comes, they're ready. Lord, we thank you for marriage. It reminds us of you, diversity and oneness. And so, Lord, help us when we think about marriage to look to you, whether we're struggling or whether we're stable. In Jesus' name, amen.